You're listening to Red Nation Online. You're listening to the Paul James and Soccer Podcast. Commentary and analysis by Paul James, former Canadian soccer player, television analyst, coach, and member of the Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Well, here we are with episode 38 of the Paul James on Soccer podcast, and this week is the beginning of something a little different. For the next six weeks, we've added a new twist to things, and we'll have six different guests sitting in for Paul. We think it'll be really interesting to get some different perspectives and personalities on to discuss issues and happenings in Canadian soccer. Paul, would you like to introduce our first guest for this week? Yes, I'd be delighted to. It's uh, Chris Williams. Chris was a former player uh, for me 10 years ago uh, for the national under-20 team, and I know he also played at the Olympic team level for Bruce Twomley. Uh, his most recent assignment as a player was with Vancouver Whitecaps in the, uh, in the USL League. So uh, Chris is currently involved in the business side of, uh, of soccer and football. He's a tremendous character. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And I know he was, uh, he was admired uh, by uh, plenty of people and certainly his peers and players with, uh, with the under-20 team. He was a terrific uh, player for us. And uh, if I had my time over again, actually, I would have uh, selected uh, Chris Williams as the captain of our under-20 team. You know, and that's uh, really based on his uh, ability and his athleticism, but also his uh, character and leadership qualities, which, uh, you know, which are in abundance with, uh, with Chris. So it's uh, be delighted to, uh, to listen to what Chris has to say about the game. He's certainly a very mature individual. He graduated from the University of Mobile down in Alabama and uh, brings a lot to the table. And I'm hoping that one day that uh, he will be an analyst somewhere in the, uh, in the soccer industry here in Canada. All right, here we are with Chris Williams. Chris, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Steve. All right, well, let's kick things off by talking about what wasn't just a big story in Canadian soccer last week, what was probably also the biggest story in Canadian sports. Telecommunications giants Rogers and Bell have teamed up to buy about 80% of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and they will replace the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund as the majority shareholders. The fact that the two companies are such staunch competitors seems to make it something of a strange fit to me, but from a business and media conversions point of view, it makes a lot of sense. Now obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs are the main reason that these companies paid so much money to buy into MLSE, and some are concerned about the fact that TFC might be an afterthought in the deal. Chris, what are your thoughts on the purchase with respect to TFC? Yeah, Steve. Um definitely two two major companies there that have acquired the MLSC empire and and I think when you're looking at it from the TFC perspective you have to look at it from from two uh, different on two separate fronts anyways um, since this is a soccer show let's discuss the, the takeover from from the TFC soccer standpoint you know the players on the field whenever you have a, an owner a new owner who takes over a club you definitely have to be aware of it, um, become cognizant of that, and make sure that you make a lasting impression. Um, the players may not have close interaction with the ownership group, um, some executives, but, but at the same time, they should ensure that every training session, every match is used as an opportunity to maintain that lasting impression. So it, it has definite implications for the players, and, and I guess to, to almost um, make sure that, that they're they have their backs up and, and um, you know, the professional along the way. 
Um, secondly, you know, dealing with uh, business and, and football's, you know, new ownership groups, and if I may allude to um, the Glazers at Manchester United, or even if you look at um, Chelsea um, with their ownership, um, um, their owner, Roman Abramovich, sorry, um, he is really, you know, Roman Abramovich has changed the tone of, of uh, the financial tone of, of the transfer market in Europe. And football, the footballing world has seen that. Um, Roman Abramovich has aligned himself with top footballing intellects um, around the world. And as you know, uh, Jose Mourinho is a, is a big name in football. And um, as a coach there, he, he definitely, you know, added some clout there with, with that hiring and also with the exit that when Jose Mourinho left the club, um, you know, there was an executive involved. And I, I believe, Steve, you may know Avram Grant. Um, he was a, an eventual Chelsea uh, club, club coach there. Uh, but at the time, he was uh, an executive, and he had conflict with Jose Mourinho. Um, so, you know, he aligned himself with Roman Abramovich, and Jose Mourinho um, found himself on the outs. Now, I, I alluded to that, and sorry for getting off track, um, but I have to say that just to explain that the ownership change affects the club, you know, resulting in a trickle-down effect. And executives within PFC will begin to align themselves with the ownership group. You know, Bell's and, Bell and Rogers are, are major companies, as I've said. And, um, you know, the executives there will look to gain some control or keep the control that they have and to, to build and to shape the culture and structure of the club. So um, that's the corporate world. And uh, if you're a fan of TFC, I, I would expect some changes on some level. I'm not too sure of the player acquisitions that the ownership group will will bring in, but I, but I believe that the fans should expect some type of change. The short term with TFC, do you think that these uh, these two huge media companies are going to be so overly concerned with the Toronto Maple Leafs that um, Toronto FC might just continue on as they have? you know, at least for the next year or so? Or have you seen any hint from these two that they see soccer as a, as a rising sport and that it's going to be, be something that they're going to want to be putting their imprint on? Yeah, I think there will be some subtle changes within the club. I don't think anything too major. Um, I wouldn't say that Stuart Neely's resignation um, had anything to do with this uh, acquisition or this transaction. So um, all I know is that uh, this is big business and... Uh, know for these large companies to acquire this empire um, it doesn't bode well for for the advertisers anyways and and network ratings and, and many more issues will be affected by this I guess that's why the, the transaction actually is being investigated by the Competition Bureau of Canada so um, that's what happens when you have a, a major transaction like this I, I know you have a business background and and are involved in the game from a business standpoint do you foresee at this point after they've made such a big announcement any way that it might not actually go through um, you, you never know. Um, I, I think that if um, I cannot remember the, the the woman's name who's in charge of the business bro, but uh, she's definitely investigating this, and I would as well. Um, you never know. I, I think with the advertisers and the competition, I mean, I would be pretty afraid uh, with what piece of the pie I would get if I was on, on the outside looking in. So it's quite possible, Steve. You never know. One of the interesting things in watching the coverage of, of the announcement and, and the analysis on both Sportsnet and and uh, and TSN af after that w was some of the the reporters joking, you know, that uh, Brian Burke, you know, I guess I'm his boss now, and uh, Tom Anselmi, you know, he reports to me. You now have the owners actually owning the team. Can can you see that affecting in any way the reporting of the team? Is there any conflict of interest there? 
Um, I think if you look around professional sports and and maybe even uh, within the MLS uh, with some of the rivals of TFC, um, with some pretty big ownership groups uh, with Montreal and Vancouver there, I think there, there could be some conflict. There's always going to be a power struggle for some reason. Uh, you know, us as, as, uh, as a generation of people, we, we always look for, for control and power. So I could see definite conflict within, within the executives within the club. You know, one of the smaller aspects of the deal is some have said that, you know, the arrangement now makes it a slam dunk that TFC will now play their home Champions League date in March against the Los Angeles Galaxy at the Rogers Center. Do you think this deal could mean that Toronto C will again start to play some high-profile friendly matches against the bigger European clubs now that they could attract upwards of forty to 50,000 fans and there would, you know, basically be no rental cost to use the Rogers Center? Yeah, that's a major implication there. You just touched on that. If there, if there's the cost is limited, then I, I don't see why not. Uh, I think it's an opportunity actually to bring in, you know, a big name club, and um, have a, have an event um, at the at the Rogers Center. So it's a, it's a great opportunity, I, I would think, for the ownership group to to host and to stage such an event. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for them. Yeah, I think a lot of people still remember the the Real Madrid match, and uh, you know that was certainly a big deal in Toronto. So it's going to be interesting to see if. Uh, if they do host more of those events, you know, maybe next summer. Now, yeah. almost, almost lost, at least here in Toronto, among all the brouhaha about the MLSE sale, was the news on Friday out of Vancouver that Paul Barber was stepping down as CEO of the Whitecaps, effective February 2012. Since then, the internet has been rife with speculation that Barber either lost a power struggle with team president Bob Linarduzzi, or that he's received an offer from England that he simply couldn't refuse. What do you make of his resignation, and do you think this is a sign of the type of turmoil that causes a club to have three different head coaches in a single calendar year? Yes, um, I mean, you've made a few points there. Um, the latter suggestion uh, regarding Paul Barber moving back to England, I, I don't think that he's actually received an offer. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the outs there, but I, I don't uh, foresee that happening. I, I think, and I know actually, my experience with Vancouver as a player um, when I was there last year, Paul Barber's signing was for the long term, and it was definitely a major move uh, for the club, and I think that at the time it, it set precedence for, for the MLS and for future clubs coming to the MLS, you know, hiring such a, a pedigree executive um, such as Paul Barber uh, with his, with his um, experience with Tottenham Hotspur. So um, it does show me that there's something going on there. Uh, the club in turmoil, uh, again, my experience with Vancouver as a player, uh, they have strong-minded executives, and uh, it definitely sends some signals, or it should send signals to Whitecaps fans that you know the club doesn't have all their ducks in a row, and, and there maybe was a power struggle. Yeah, I mean, certainly the on-the-pitch results weren't what Whitecaps fans had hoped in their first season. But you know, if, if, if I look back to you know the preseason, la- you know, let heading into the last season. It just seemed that with the with uh, the addition of Barber, that the team seemed to be adding one sponsor after another, and you know I I, I don't know the actual financials, but it, I would guess the team was actually pretty financially successful in its first year. Can you replace a person like Barber, or is it just going to be a different looking leadership team going forward? Well, you said it there. I, I, they have been successful. I mean, so I've played with the Whitecaps before the MLS, and then I've gone back as a, a fan. I'll call myself a fan. Uh, of the Whitecaps, and uh, definitely the, the corporate sponsorship, the, the advertising, 
you know, just the influx, the injection of money into the city and, and surrounded by the Whitecaps, Paul Barber's definite um, fingerprints, uh, that's his design. And, and I think with such an experienced executive at the, at the club there, I, I don't see how the club painted this picture in the beginning, that it was for the long term. Now they're saying that it, it was for short-term gain and, and Paul Barber has done his job. Um, I think his job is incomplete there. I think that he was forced out and um, there's no way that uh, you, you would want an executive, a leader like that, to leave your club. Um, no chance. Uh, something along the way went wrong. He didn't see eye to eye with, with an executive at the club um, who probably has power, and, and now he's on the outs, which is a shame because I don't think you can replace him. Heading into their first season in the MLS, the number of experienced executives that the club had at its helm was considered to be the greatest strength of the franchise. Now, given the team's on-the-field struggles in 2011 and Barber's resignation, in hindsight, do you now think that it was a matter of just too many cooks in the kitchen? That's a, a great term there. Um, I, I think yes. I say yes. Uh, for the club to announce that Bob Lenarduzzi, if I have this correct, Bob Lenarduzzi and Rachel Lewis are, are now assuming the CEO responsibilities uh, shows a lack of discernment uh, at some level within the club. Um, those two individuals were in place. Uh, prior to Paul Barber, so I would think that you would leave them in place um, heading into MLS, unless um, the club was, was hiring Paul Barber for the short-term gain, which they appear to have been saying now in the media and in the press. So um, uh, maybe with the marketing ploy to paint that picture of progression, I think the Whitecaps have just taken two steps back with the situation, um, with the resignation. And, and if I may, just to touch on Bob Lenarduzzi, he made some comments in an article saying that um, you know the club uh, should have a learning cr- a learning curve um, along the way, and, and hopefully they're better off for it, and they're going to pick up the slack hopefully. But I think his comment should have been you know Paul Barber has implemented um, you know key pieces for us during a short time, and we'll definitely take solid foundation left in place by him. We wish him all the best. Something to that effect. So um, he was shocked, he says, by his resignation, but I don't think he was. I think. The writing was on the wall between those two. Um, so uh, I'm a little bit surprised that Bob Lenarduzzi would make those comments in an article like that. Well, Barber may be on his way out. His influence will certainly be felt on the pitch in 2012, given that he was a key factor in the Whitecaps' recent signing of Korean defender and former Tottenham Hotspur player Lee Young-pyo. In reviewing the response to the signing on discussion boards and blogs, Whitecaps fans seem to be relatively positive about the acquisition. On the one hand, Lee is approaching 35 years old, he's 5'9", 150 pounds, and there's some concern as to how well he will do in the MLS, which is noted for the physicality and athleticism of its players. On the other hand, he's obviously a very pedigreed, talented, and experienced player, given that he's played for PSV in Holland, Borussia Dortmund in Germany, and Tottenham in England, with the EPL not exactly being chopped liver in terms of physical play. Add to that the fact that Lee has been captain amazing 127 times by the South Korean national team. You know, I think that given all of his positive qualities, he's going to be a great acquisition. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, you've made some great points there. Um, it, it seems like the Whitecaps have done the research on, on the signing. or It does have Paul Barber's uh, fingerprints on this, and, and even Martin Rennie's. Um, Lee, he ha- he's had an accomplished career playing for PSV as you mentioned, in Tottenham and Borussia Dortmund. And uh, I believe that with the, the cup success that he's had, the league success at those clubs, um, he, he's been 
been a part of successful sides, and, and that's a key ingredient. Um, you know, winning is a key ingredient that I think a lot of people maybe misplace or forget about. You want people who have strong characters. You want people who have positive attitudes, but also players who have done it, um, you know, in terms of on the field and winning championships and success. I, I think when you're looking at a, a player of his stature, and, and especially as you know, uh, there's been a lot of uh, rumors going around the Montreal impact. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, go off track here, but, you know, with Didier Drogba, uh, uh, Nicholas Anelka, you know, maybe those players are looking for a lottery ticket. But in this signing, Lee, I think he t- ticks off all, all the right boxes here when you, you say, can he be a leader for my, for my club, for my team? You know, will he be a role model to younger players? Does he have the right mentality? Does he have the right character traits? And I believe if you tick off all of those boxes, then you know, and answer those questions positively, um, then, then you have your right guy. And, and I believe that, that they have the right guy in, in Lee. And I think also, you, you mentioned his age, um, if I stand corrected, but you know, I think that he can handle the MLS season. Uh, being a former fullback, uh, I, I know what it takes and the type of season that you have to have. And in Vancouver, they do some traveling there. But, uh, but I believe that um, he can. He has longevity. And uh, he can definitely uh, make a make a definite impact uh, for the club. Yeah, a couple of more positive things about him are, you know, apparently he had uh, he had, you know, offers for more money in in, in other places, and um, he's he's not coming in as a designated player. But given that, you know, with respect to his age, do you think it makes sense to draw any parallels to uh, Torsten Frings, who was very good with TFC last season? at basically the same age and also came in, you know, sort of with that pedigree as a winner, a lot of national team experience, you know, and, and, and winning things in top top clubs in Europe. Yeah, I, I believe you can draw some parallels to Torsten Frings. Uh, Torsten Frings had a good season, his first season with the club at TFC. Um, in terms of their footballing pedigree, exactly, they, they have uh, that experience, uh, especially in the locker room you want someone of that character and and I, I do know that that Lee had that character to be a leader from a former teammate who played with Lee at Borussia Dortmund so um, I, I believe you can and and that's the type of foreign player you acquire you said that he's not uh, coming for payday so he's not going to be a designated player but I, I think Vancouver did themselves a world of good with the signing because of, of the type of person that Lee is the type of player that he is yeah, and, and Lee, I think Lee's coming in as a right back. I think he, he can play both fullback positions. But, you know, do you think that, you know, playing as a fullback, is, is it a more physically demanding position than the central defense and holding midfielder roles that Torsten Frings played this past season? You know, uh, he, he was fantastic, but a few times he did look like he was getting a little bit outmatched in terms of pace. Yeah, I remember watching Torsten Frings uh, in a few games, and it looks like his legs were catching up to him. So... Um, yeah, the fullback position is a demanding position. It all depends on how, how the club or, you know, the coach wants the system to run. But uh, I think that, that Lee still has those legs to, to create some, some space for, for his, himself on the right-hand side. So I think he'll be all right. I think the type of player, I'm, the way that it, it looks is that he takes care of his body and, and uh, he'll watch his diet. And, and, and he's a professional, so I'm pretty sure that, that it's a good signing. Uh, I'm very interested to see how, how the back line will do, especially with him uh, going forward, forward in the attack. Yeah, speaking of the back line, a right back was a definite position of weakness for Vancouver last season. 
you know, with Lee at right back and Alain Rochat most likely playing regularly left back, that's a lot of experience and quality at the two fullback positions. You know, given what you saw from Vancouver last season, how do you like the current state of the back line, especially if we can assume that, you know, Jay Demerit's injury issues from last season, you know, aren't something that are going to be repeated in 2012? Yeah, you just mentioned Jay Demerit. I'll, I'll come back to him. But I think with Lee and Alan Rochat, uh, I really like that uh, back line. I think that Alan Rochat, with that left foot of his, he, he scored some pretty pretty good goals this past season. He had some good performances. Uh, he was moved around a little bit. He had to play the center back position because of injuries. But um, he, he has resilience uh, on his side, and, and Lee does as well. So I, I think you have two experienced players there. Um, you know, probably the most experienced guys um, at the club, if you want to say, in terms of at the back anyways. Um, along with, I believe it's Carlisle Mitchell, the Trinidadian, uh, there, who, who has the trimmings of, of you know, being a, becoming a solid defender. So I would say, actually, uh, as you, you mentioned Jay DeMerit there, I would say that right now, because of his injuries and uh, because of what I've seen from Jay DeMerit this past season, he's actually the weak link um, on the back line. Just because of, of the injuries, as you, you mentioned, you know, an 80% Jay DeMerit isn't good enough. It's, it's actually an ineffective player at the back for them. So I, I hope that, you know, their captain... Know, Jay Demerit can can shore up his injuries and and make a make a contribution because if not then he he'll he, he may find himself you know on the bench and that that's surprising to say maybe but um, I I think that he could be the weak link there. With um with Barber on his way out, the Whitecaps have lost someone you know with a lot of experience from the management ranks you know and that that may be a negative or it may be end up being addition by subtraction. We won't know that for for a little while. But um, one person who has joined the team in a management capacity is new Whitecaps head coach Martin Rennie. I haven't heard anybody really say anything negative about him. He seems to be, uh, you know, just downright positives coming from everybody about him. And he seems to be going about his business in, in a no-nonsense manner. And while it's obvious the Whitecaps still have more moves to make before the season kicks off in 2012, I do like the way he's quickly moved out the players that he does not see as fitting into his team and his system and style of play. He hasn't coached an MLS game yet, but I'm wondering what your initial impressions are of Rennie so far. Yes, uh, I believe this is the Whitecaps' best and, and most important asset in Martin Rennie. Um, he, he has the character to affect change at the club. As you can see, they're going through some turmoil, and it seems like they have a revolving door of coaches, even though they've only been in MLS uh, for a year. Um, but uh, he's definitely not going to follow the promo executives there and listen to, to any opinions. I think he's going to take the suggestions that that he's given. He's going to make up his own mind, and and you can see, as you mentioned, the player that he's not comfortable with. He, he's moved them on, moved them out. He he has no allegiances with any any players there. So it, that's a great thing, and I definitely definitely know that uh, through my own personal experiences, you know, whether playing against his Carolina side, uh, that that he is, you know, he's a competitor. Um, he's a coach with character. He, he's definitely definitely a likable personality, a uh, likable person. Um, I can tell you from from some experiences that uh, as soon as he's gone to Vancouver, he's met with some of the players, the key players there, who have had issues in this last season, and um, he met with them head on, directly, uh, wanted to know what what the issues were, and um, you know he made sure that those players are are going to be a part of his team, and he wanted them to know that. So you know. That's my experiences with uh, Martin Rennie, and, and I know from a, a business standpoint that uh, 
he's not afraid to, to roll his sleeves up and, and get dirty and, and speak to who he needs to speak to. So I would say that the Whitecaps have done themselves a, a world of good in this in this situation. Um, oddly enough, you know they have some conflicting issues, but uh, definitely Martin Rennie is an asset for the club. Yeah, you kind of alluded to a, a couple of players there that have been on my mind. Eric Hasley and um, and David Chiamento are both very talented and 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 both had their moments last year, but I kind of got the impression that you know those two have more to give and could also be you know players that could be more consistent. Do you think that bringing in Rennie, you know, that he's going to be able to get the the most out of those key players? I think so. Um, I think David Chiamento and Eric Hasley are are, are big talents. Uh, you know, they have they have great assets, great great ability on the ball. I believe the coaches in in the past, in Tater and Tommy, they weren't able to to reap the benefits from from those two. Uh, with Martin Rennie, as I said, and I, and I won't uh, hide the fact that those were two of the players that he that he met with, and and yes, those those players will will be able to contribute because I think Martin Rennie will will allow them to. You know, he'll he'll tell them what he expects from them, and, and I believe you know when you have players who who um, you know, find themselves on the outs or, or just aren't um, in a position of trust with the coach, you know, they're not going to give, uh, you know, their blood, sweat, and tears for you. But if you have a coach, uh, coach and a player relationship where the player will do anything for you because he knows the coach backs them, and it's a, you know, it's a two-way street there. So uh, those two players will, will go through a wall for Martin Rennie um, because he's met with them and, and being direct with them and, and, and honest. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing those two players really achieve and overachieve uh, for that club you know just being you know my primary concern is always the development of canadian players and and the performance of the canadian national teams so you know in that sense i have a vested interest in in seeing players like uh bryce alderson and uh and russell tybert you know getting playing time and 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 doing well and developing their careers at the mls level because i think they're both great canadian talents you know, from your experience, you know, with with Martin Rennie watching him playing against Carolina, you know, is he is he a, a coach who's friendly towards young players and 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 develop developing them and and you know getting them and giving them chances? Well, I think if, if you well, I, I know this. If you look at who he's aligned himself with, so he's brought in Paul Ritchie, who's a fit guy um, who played the game, no nonsense guy. And um, I'm going to come back to your Canadian point there. Um, but I, but I say that just because Martin Rennie's open to, to many things from my experience, and, and he definitely will um, will incorporate the Canadians, especially Bryce Alderson and Russell Tabor, just because the type of players that they are, they're fit guys. I remember, um, you know, playing alongside or training with, with those two and uh, what promise they have. And, and Martin Rennie is open to, you know, if you, can, if you can fit the bill, if you fit the criteria that he's looking for, he'll bring you in. It doesn't matter the age. Doesn't matter, you know, you know what the experience is in, in terms of, um, you know, play from from seasons past. So definitely, I think it's a it's a great place actually for, for Canadians, young Canadians, especially in the the Whitecaps residency program. I, I would hope that some more players would come through the ranks, um, you know, given time. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Bryce and uh, Russell uh, make some make some uh, waves as the season goes on next year. Now, prior to the big MLSE sale last week, Toronto and FC announced last Wednesday that the club has signed Bermudan international midfielder Reggie Lamb. He apparently brings fantastic pace, and he most recently played for English Champions side 
um, Ipswich Town, where he began his career in the youth side in 2007. Uh, given what you know of Lamb, how do you see him fitting into Aaron Vinter's 4-3-3 tactical approach? Yeah, I believe um, Jamie Peters might have uh, played with Reggie Lamb. I, I'm not uh, too well versed with Reggie Lamb from what I've heard, from what I've seen, little bit I've seen him from him. Um, he has pace, and um, he'll definitely bring that to the team, and I think that's a, a good you know, attribute to have, especially with TFC. I always think that they needed someone, you know, Jao Platt to like, uh, to complement that and, and to bring that threat, um, you know, on the other side of, of the field. So, um, you know, I believe that, that players like that, like Reggie Lamb, uh, Toronto, Toronto should look to, to bring in more players like that. He, Reggie Lamb, if I'm not mistaken, he's played for Ipswich. And what was the other club, Steve? Um, it's escaping me right now. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but but anyways, just to, just to go back to your question there, um, it's a real opportunity for you know he's to come over to North America and become a household name for TFC fans um, with his attributes. I think he can definitely fit into Aaron Vinter's four three three system and uh, become a threat. I think creating scoring opportunities um, sometimes uh, TFC lacks that and they don't always look threatening. So when you bring in a player like that who's relatively unknown to the MLS, um, I think uh, that he can make some, 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 create some scoring chances anyways and, and possibly, possibly be a household name, as I said before. At 20 years old and with limited ex- experience to his name, Lamb probably isn't the type of big-name player that Toronto FC's fans were likely hoping the team would sign to bolster the squad. You know, that said, given the fact that Toronto doesn't have a whole lot of space under the MLS salary cap, do you think Lamb is something of a template for the type of, you know, experimental players that, that TFC will sign to fill up the squad over the offseason? Yes. This, this player is, Reggie Lamb is unknown to TFC fans. And, you know, it's, it's not the fans' fault. It's definitely not. But uh, Toronto, Toronto's mismanagement from previous seasons have uh, caused them some difficulty with the salary cap. And uh, they're quite restricted in, in who they can bring in, you know, financially. So um, this type of player, uh, with no disrespect to Reggie Lamb, fans should expect to see. Um, doesn't mean that Reggie Lamb will uh, be a solid contributor, because I believe that he, he can contribute in a positive way. So um, I, I will say that, you know, Toronto FC, they're not the new kids on the block. They're, they're in a different position than their rivals. And, um, you know... They've, they've signed the big names, you know, they have Julian, they have Torsten Frings, they have Danny Kuberman, so, you know, those names are, are on the, at the club, and now they have to look for hidden gems, untapped talent to bolster their lineup, and ensure they're competitive, uh, so they can get over that hump and make a playoff um, spot, so um, hopefully they can progress to, towards that, and uh, I believe they will at some point, I, I don't think anybody has the, the magic ball and can, you know, predict that, but um, hopefully it's in the near future. Yeah, I mean, if you look back at past teams that have been successful in the MLS, you know, it's often been those clubs that do find those hidden gems that are able to uh, fill key roles and, and be quality performers for, um, you know, a quality price. So, you know, we'll see if they can bring in a few more. And it looks like this season's really going to be a, a test of their scouting and their, and their ability to be experimental. Yes, I would agree. Okay, now to end off this episode of the podcast... I'd like to uh, discuss a recent article I wrote for sportsnet.ca in which I provided my picks for Canada's top performers at each position in 2011. Um, I made some bold picks, and I tried to spread my choices around different leagues and levels, 
and I didn't limit myself to players who play for the Canadian men's national team. And I wanted to, um, you know, highlight some players that uh, had breakthrough seasons and, and that I thought were stories that uh, needed to get out there. So with that in mind, I thought it would be interesting to get your choices for Canada's standout performers at each position in 2011, you know, given that we're in December and we'll be heading into the new year soon. Yeah, Steve, I, I saw your picks and uh, I think you did make some bold selections and probably got some stick for it. But, um, you know, I look at it as if uh, you were the coach uh, of Canada, and um, now you've been moved on to your executive position above me, and you've brought me in as the new coach. So I, I would try and improve the starting 11 that you've had in place for some time. Um, and, and starting with the goalkeeper position, I would I would implement Lars Hirschfeld um, at that position, just because I think that he's Canada's most experienced goalkeeper, and uh, he's had success along the way in his career, and he plays the top flight in Norway. So... Um, you know, with his pedigree playing in the Champions League, I think that, um, you know, because he's played during the season, I would definitely give him the nod. But I, I definitely uh, think that you you giving, um, what is the, the young keeper's name? Uh, Tomer Chansinski. And I, I do need to jump in there and say that um, that this wasn't, what I wrote wasn't, were, were Canada the countries, you know, best standout performers rather than, uh, you know, these would be my picks for the 11 players to... Uh, play for the Canadian national team. Yes, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so moving on then, I would, I would definitely agree with you. Ashton Morgan at the left-back position, uh, he's made major strides since earning a starting position with TFC and uh, being selected for Canada um, says quite a bit for his development as a footballer. So, um, you know, he's definite uh, figure and example for young players aspiring to be professional. And I think he's had some good performances along the way during the season. And... Um, Definitely, when he's um, when you know when you talk about players who have character mentality, I can see it when he's playing. He's hungry. He's tenacious. He wants to win, and I think that's a good in, a good um, you know inclusion into, into your squad and, and now my squad. So, um, moving on, uh, David Edgar, uh, the center back position. You know he has been a, a regular with Burnley in the Championship, and uh, I think that's had a major impact with his confidence, and he's had some. Good performances with Canada. I think you would agree that um, he, he's been solid for for the Canadian side in the qualification matches. So um, I'm hoping that that continues and and he can keep his confidence up because when you have a confident young player like that, um, you know it, it shows through, especially getting into the nitty gritty of uh, um, qualification matches. But David Edgar has had some solid performances in 2011. Uh, moving on. Uh, Andrew Aino, I, I would put him in as a center back. I know he's played right back for Houston, uh, maybe most of the season with Houston, but um, he's an experienced center back and experienced defender. So um, he's had some good good performances. He's scored some key goals for Houston down the stretch, and now into the MLS Cup final, he has that experience under his belt. So I would uh, slot him in at the center back position. Yeah, that's an in, that's an interesting uh, discussion there because he can play. Uh, both positions. I think one reason why uh, I slotted him as a right back was just because uh, he has played there so much for Houston, you know, and I think him playing there regularly might present something of a solution for Stephen Hart in the sense that no one's really claimed that right back position from a, a Canadian national team standpoint. Yeah, maybe I should come out of retirement and uh, and, and ask Stephen for, for a trial, but um, here, here's one for you. I, I would slot Matt Stinson in there at the right back position just because I think that he's had some good performances, solid performances for TFC, and, and I think he has an engine. 
um, on him. And and because of his, you know, uh, being integrated into the TFC lineup and the experience that he's had, I know Stephen brought him in, and I believe he has an injury, so he wasn't able to play. But I, I like Matt Stinson. I think he has some capabilities, and he, and he plays within his limits. So um, based on that, I, I think he, he would be my choice for the right-back position. Yeah, the injury was an unfortunate, and, and I'm pretty sure that Stephen Hart did mention that you, you know, he did bring Matt Stinson, at least with respect to uh, you know training and, and trialing him there at that right-back spot. So you know, we'll see if for the... Uh, the next friendly in the next training camp if um if uh, matt's fit if he uh if he gets the call again yes uh moving on in the midfield uh i i get excited when i when i speak about the midfield just because i think canada has you know some quality midfielders i would include julian de guzman as uh you know in this squad for 2011 best 11 uh, his resilience this past season coming off of injury and um you know he's taken some debatable criticism and i think whenever a player is criticized and can you know fight through that and play through that um he's answered his critics there so i think he's had some strong performances uh, with tfc down the stretch um maybe he he hasn't been as consistent as he would like but um definite strong performances and and i look to to see 2012 to be a uh, a positive year for him maybe even his, his best year in, in in a tfc uniform and I will move on to Jonathan de Guzman. I, I believe, you know, reading your article, Steve, that, um, you know, that uh, Julian's had an interview and uh, said that, mentioned that Jonathan will be, or he's considering, you know, playing for Canada. At the end of the day, in, in my eyes, Jonathan is Canadian, and I, I don't even think we have to look at, um, you know, speculate on whether or not he's good enough. I think as a Canadian, playing in the Champions League, playing in the Liga, I think the statistics speak for themselves, and, and Jonathan's a great talent, so I would include him there and slot him in the, the midfield position. And what about you know another midfield position? Um, I, I would look to uh, Dwayne De Rosario. He's uh, MLS MVP, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I don't think anybody um, would argue with that. I, I, I think Dwayne is uh, another midfielder that's shown some resilience. Uh, he's played with, it was it three clubs in, in one season? if I have that uh, correct. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think I know, again, statistics show that um, Dwayne is a solid player and, and the MLS uh, MVP speaks for itself. And looking at, you know, at, at maybe three different forwards then, you know, I, I listed uh, three forwards as my picks, Josh Simpson, Simeon Jackson, and Junior Hoylet. Yeah, I would agree with you um, just about. I, I think Junior Hoylet, I would I would slot in. I've seen him play on on the on the telly, and and I think that he's a, a player that's an exciting player. He's a young player, and he's Canadian. You you have to slot him in there. I mean, he's playing in the Premiership, and and he's created some waves and some some noise with his performances. So um, he's another attacking player that that loves to go forward and and create scoring opportunities. So I would slot him in there. Uh, Toussaint Ricketts, actually, I would I would put him in. I, I would put him in my. Uh, 2011 best 11 just because I don't get to see him too much on the domestic side but whenever he's played for Canada he looks threatening looks dangerous and um, his pace and his confidence you can see he, he wants to play he, he wants to attack defenders and, and get into scoring ch- uh, positions so um, he would be a forward that I would slot in and, and finally Josh Simpson would be my pick um, Josh is dangerous in the attack always and and even for his club side, Manessa Spore, uh, uh, I believe 
believe that Josh Josh is always looking to create chances. Uh, some would say some some would say that he's a little bit selfish, but definitely another player that Canada needs and and uh, needs to have in the attack. Yeah, and I think when you when you say selfish, it's not his attitude. It's just sort of the way he plays the game. And uh, you know, I interviewed him recently, and he mentioned that uh, you know one of the reasons he moved to Turkey and away from Germany was that uh, you know he wanted to. Uh, move to a place that would allow him to run at players and and be a little more selfish with the ball rather than you know playing such a strict you know tactical approach with passing off the ball and and, and whatnot so yeah if i may just jump in quickly there yeah i'm saying selfish i think you're you're spot on there that's that's what i was alluding to i i, I know josh uh, as a person and as a player i think that you know i wish i was a little bit more selfish growing up and playing the game and, and josh has that mentality and i think moving to turkey is a great decision by him and, and he has a spot on so you know fair enough to him and I, and I hope that uh, he brings success to Canada because because we need it yeah and I'm a I'm a huge Toe St. Ricketts fan as well I had him there as one of my honorable mentions uh you know for the team column at least on the subs bench uh, wh- one interesting thing you brought up there is um you know looking at the Canadian national team he played that last game out wide right rather than as a center forward you know with his pace and whatnot how do you like him in that wide right position? Uh, you're referring to Tosan Ricketts? Yeah. Yeah, I think he should play a wide. Um, I don't think back to goal, you know, uh, playing as that central striker is his best position. I think you want him facing forward, running at defenders. Um, with his pace, uh, I, I don't think defenders would know if he's going left or right or just directly at them. So um, I think he's dangerous uh, when he's facing the goal. And you always create opportunities, defense. You know, defenders are always, you know, on their on their heels when they're when they're having a player running at pace like that. So I think you know, playing out wide creates more opportunity and will create more scoring chances for Canada. Okay, so you ha- you know you had a few different choices from me, and um, you know, to be fair in terms of wanting to highlight some players, I didn't limit myself to just eleven. I gave myself a few more. So why don't we end things off today by uh, you know getting you to n- name a three man sub bench as well. I um, definitely, I'll probably agree with you on, on some some of the names here. So you're giving me three. I will um, include Randy Edwini Bonsu. Uh, I really uh, followed him, actually. So I played with him at Vancouver, and I, I followed him as he went to, to Finland. I followed his progress, and, and he's done, done, done himself some good there by scoring, you know, uh, many goals in Finland's second division. And now I believe he's in the second Bundesliga. So uh, Randy Edwini Bonsu for for uh, overcoming a, a lot of struggle as a, as a Canadian soccer player and now making it in Europe, as it seems. Um, I, I would include Simeon Jackson. He's playing at uh, you know, a high level in the Premiership. No, he doesn't play every match. He's on the bench, the subs bench, but I, I would include him just because he's an exciting young player that, that can create chances for Canada. And uh, I can't leave out Atiba Hutchinson just because Atiba, maybe he is Canada's best midfielder. Um, I probably left out Patrice Bernier there, but um, no, I, I know um, those two players had injuries, but uh, I would include Atiba Hutchinson in my three-man uh, substitution. Sounds good. Yep, I think Atiba is going to be, uh, you know, a key player, and his health will be, uh, you know, a key variable for, uh, you know, as they move into the next round of World Cup qualifying. If you have questions that you'd like Paul to address, please send your email to Paul James at RedNationOnline.ca.